Yeah. Cool. Hello, welcome back to the sixth episode of the Wave Running Podcast. Today, I'm joined here by Lara Hamilton. Can you please give a quick rundown of who you are and what you're about? Yeah. So, hi, I'm Lara. Um, I currently live in Colorado, but I grew up in Sydney, Australia. Um, I am a long distance trail runner, but also occasionally double in track and cross country. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah. And we'll dive into way more detail because I think that's a really big summary and you do a lot of stuff in your life. And I want to touch on like all the bases today in the time that we have. But I think we met back in 2019 or something like that in the interfaculty run. I don't even know if you remember, but I'm pretty sure we both came first, respectively, in the men's and women's. And then... Yeah, we just talked for a bit after the thing, and then we just kept in touch from then. I saw you went to Boise State University, I think it was, and yeah, I've been following you the whole time, and it's pretty cool to see how you've dabbled in a lot of different stuff along the way as well, like skiing as well, which we'll get into, but I think just to start off, let's begin with how you got into running. So tell us your story. When did you get into it, and how did you start yeah, so it was um a little bit by accident. I was a Nordic skier in for most of my school life. And um to train for Nordic skiing when there's no snow, we tend to just go on runs and mostly trail runs and mountain biking and things like that. Um, and I remember they needed a sub for the school cross country race, um, like a fourth runner, and no one wanted to do it because no one really likes to run in school, be forced to run. You have to want to do that. So I put my hand up and um I ended up coming like fourth at that carnival and then progressing through those school carnivals and doing quite well. Um, and then I entered a fun run um, and I it was the first time I'd ever broken a ribbon. So I thought maybe I should get a coach and actually um, start training for running. So I um, joined Run Crew back in 2016 and kind of the rest is history from there. Yeah, Run Crew is quite an established club now, but you were part of like the first generation from what I've seen on a recent post. Because obviously you won UTA, which we'll get into later as well. But yeah, how many people were there at the time? And who are some of the big names that are still there and were there back in the day? Yeah, um, I think I was their first junior that they took on board. Um, And I rocked up to Centennial Park and there probably was only like 10 of us. Um, And it would shift and change depending on when people have work and whatnot. Um, I was running with Gemma, who um, I think just came sixth in UTA 50 so she's still um, at it and still doing really really well uh, we had uh, Jackson Sharp join not too shortly after and he's over in the US at the moment but um, you know still part of the run crew family uh, there's a bunch of people Cecily um, she's still there the list goes on I'm blanking a bit but like I don't know it's kind of it's been seven years and um, there's still the similar familiar faces that have been there since day one and I look up to them as mentors and almost a part of the family like you can see them and it's like no time has changed and I really like those relationships yeah for sure and when did the Boise State University picture come in and what was it like looking into going into the U.S. like did you did they contact you or did you kind of apply to a few different colleges or how did that work Mm -hmm. yeah that all started in um, 2017 when I um, won state cross country and then national cross country for the under 20s I started getting a lot of offers and I kind of brushed it under the rug um, I had like sick family members at the time and I was doing my undergrad and already a year into that and I kind of just thought I am not I, I liked how my training was going I was doing well I was like why would I suddenly upend my life um then I kind of 
I guess, you know, I was doing well and I was coming to the end of my degree and it was like, well, what's next? I'm 20, I think I was 21, 20, 21 years old and I wasn't ready to be in the full-time workforce. So I thought about doing another degree and I didn't want more student debt. And I had all these offers um, and I, uh, you know, narrowed it down to University of Arkansas, Boise State, Penn State, a few of those. Um, ended up visiting University of Georgia and Boise State and um, went with Boise State uh, and yeah took off in 2019 and um, really only got one season because of COVID um, so you know that happened to everyone but my time there was fun for the most part I just didn't really get to experience that true college life with COVID happening and whatnot. Yeah. What was the training in Boise State like? Because obviously I know all the colleges train slightly <laughs> differently and some colleges have a lot of people so they can kind of put them into more intense and higher mileage training and see who can come out the other end. But was your squad quite small? Or... Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't a massive squad. And, um, you know, unlike other schools, we didn't keep our men and women completely, completely separate, like men and women worked out separately, but like we were allowed to do other runs together, which I think was really nice because I was brought up in that kind of environment with run crew, not like segregating athletes of different types. Um, and it would be like six days a week with a day off. And that's, you know, pretty stock standard. Um, I never have run all days of the week. Uh, I think that can be a little risky. Um, you'd have two sessions a week, one on the track doing intervals uh, or on the green belt, which is this every, almost every major US city has one. It's like a path that goes beside a river or a body of water and they call it the green belt. Um, and that's where you do like intervals uh, that aren't on a track, tempo runs, whatnot. Um, and then you'd have a midweek long run, a long, long run. Um, and then a bunch of runs doubled through. Um, and your first run of the week would normally be like, 20 minutes jog, um, a variety of different strides, like 200, 400, 800 strides, uh, like, sorry, not 200, 20, 40, 80, 100 strides, meters. Um, and then you'd repeat that twice. And then you go on like a 45 minute jog afterwards uh, just to get the legs turning over. So not too dissimilar to what I do now. Um, you do trail running as well. Like we didn't see it as trail running. Boise has 190 miles of trails. And our coaches were like, it's soft surface. It's varied terrain. Um, you know, you're climbing higher in altitude. Why wouldn't you go and use those trails to train on and not just spend your whole time on the road? So that's kind of what we did. And I had a real love for that and um, ended up you know, going into trail running after college. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Was the trail more like fire trail? Because that's what I feel like the US has a lot of. Um. So, yeah, I'm going to have to say most of my experience in the U.S. is not fire trail. It's all buffed out single track, um, unless okay. you're in high alpine, high altitude environments, you know, mountaintops, and you've got scrambling and things like that. Um, but no, Boise is uh, extremely mountain bikeable. You can, there's a ski resort at the very top um, on Schaefer Butte, and that's about 2,200 meters. And you can climb entirely on trail from Boise Town up to the ski resort and back. It's like a marathon. Um, so that's pretty cool. I never actually got to do that, but, uh, you're, you have so many trail options. You don't have to run the same route twice. Yeah. That's so good. That's a dream. I hate like running the same place all the time. Even in Sydney, I try and vary up the routes so that I don't have to run like Centennial Park, you know, three times a month or anything like that. But the last thing I was curious about is like what your mileage was like 
going from Australia to the U.S., did it suddenly increase significantly or did it stay the same? Um, it stayed pretty much the same. So um, I had a lot of success on kind of like, I'm not super high mileage, like 55 to 60 miles a week. Um, and I was just super consistent about that. Like I didn't really miss things. Um, and, you know, now I run a little more mileage, but a little less intensity. Um, so I'm always kind of looking at like intensity versus volume versus time at intensity and distribution throughout the week just depending on where I'm at. Um, so yeah, not, not too much. I think the coaches were pretty good about that. They, whilst I am not a big fan of like asking girls, like what their mileage is every week in front of other people. I think that that, if you're young and you're easily influenced and not kind of staying true to what you know and what's trying to test it on yourself and what works for you, um, and not comparing yourself, like that can get a little tough. I came into the program, like at 21, having trained for a few years, kind of knowing what works and I was like, okay, like this is where I tend to perform best for these kind of distances, like five and six K races, not very far. Um, and this is like what I should be doing. And they took that on and, you know, I got prescribed workouts and stuff, but I, it was very flexible. Um, and yeah. Uh, and now I'm still again with run crew after Boise state, which is super cool. And um, kind of like looking at a more trial run focus program. Are you coached by Gary in run crew or? Yeah, yeah, Gary's my yeah. coach. Yeah, Gary's a good lad. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you on the mileage intensity kind of spectrum thing because yeah, it's pretty easy to get influenced by all these people that do this high mileage or high intensity. I find that sticking to what you know and being consistent with it well, rather than doing a high mileage block and then getting injured is so much better. So yeah, I try and just stick to what I know works for me, which is about 100Ks a week. And yeah, I've stuck to it for so long and I'm, I'm just scared of like increasing it to, you know, 120 or whatever. I've, I've dabbled with a bit of 110 now that I've done it for so many years, but yeah, I'm trying to be careful about how I do it because obviously you want to look at intensity as well. So yeah, very good point there regarding mileage. Yeah. You definitely don't want to push yourself too much before you can, I guess, but yeah, talk to us a bit about your track experience obviously you love trail right now um which we will definitely get onto but yeah did you enjoy it when you were doing it and what was your favorite event yeah um it's not so much that I enjoyed it a bunch I ended up just being good at it um which was like annoying because I really like running in a bush but I had this speed um so I you know started to do 5ks um occasional like the occasional 10k but I really prefer like the longer the race to it to be on the roads and things like that so I back in 2017 I was running pretty fast like uh 16 13 and that was only my second year of running seriously um I unfortunately got diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis so I, like I suffer from like a um autoimmune inflammatory condition um which has really like hindered me for five years but I'm slowly coming back. Like um, February, I jumped in a track race and that was at 2,400 meters of altitude. And I ran a 1750, which I think converts to around a 1620 at sea level. And I ran that solo from the front the entire time with no one to run with. So I kind of like gave me a, a bit of uh, confidence again. I was like, hey, like I'm being treated for this condition. I'm coming back. And it gave me hope that, hey, like maybe UTA, like that's something that I can see myself on the podium for because I was running that in February. I just needed the consistency leading up to May, you know? 
Yeah, for so, sure. I feel like speed and like track stuff does help with, you know, being a better ultra runner anyway. So it is kind of good to do it, even if you don't enjoy it, especially if you want to perform at a high level in the ultras as well. Because obviously us here are both still relatively young. Like we have quite a long time ahead of us in terms of peaking in the trail and like the ultra events, I guess. So I think it's good that we have that little bit of foundation in the shorter stuff. I say shorter stuff, we're talking like five and 10K for us, but I guess you still have some decent, well, really quick PBs in the 1500 and 3K, like 428, 928, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, I ran them so long ago. Um, I haven't yeah. tried them Tried them since. I would have liked to have tried 3K again. Um, I When I was doing like a big speed block in the winter, a lot of indoor track workouts, snows a bunch where I live right now in the winter. So you're basically stuck when you want to do workouts, you have to go indoors. But yeah, those are the right PBs. Um, 1500, I'm kind of not that interested in anymore. It's yeah. just not me. A lot of those college kids are running a lot quicker than 428 these days. So like I, I've noticed like how fast people are, like definitely times are going down. Like there was a point when I was on the all-time fastest list for 5 and 10K in Australia. And I'm way knocked down now because it's the talent pool is amazing um so yeah i don't know if you've noticed the same thing kind of on your ends like uh how fast people are running yeah everyone's only getting quicker even like comparing last year to this year is insane in the australian kind of rankings and yeah yeah it's still pretty cool to see like the juniors coming up and you know performing so good at a young age so i think it's pretty exciting to see what the next generation of australians can do and i talk as if i'm an australian i'm not but you know, I think at heart, I'm an Australian at since heart, I've been yeah. there for a long time. So, but I think 16, 13 is probably your most impressive PB. And yeah, again, that just shows, you know, the class athlete you are and the um, potential you have. But yeah, when did you start racing in the trail more often? Yeah, um, more often, Um, I guess only really 2022, like I before COVID started, I jumped in a few um smaller races, but then like didn't really have time to do that because everything just shut down. Like I came back to Australia after college and um was pretty much in quarantines in and out from June through September as we all were like with the radiuses and whatnot. But I kind of have always like done trail races here and there. Like back in 2018, I jumped in one of those North Face Manly trail runs, like just fun. Um when I was a Nordic skier, we would go trail running with poles um, on the ski resort slopes, like run up and down them at Perisher. So it's like, I never really saw it as a separate sport. I just saw it as something that I did because um, I didn't want to run the road or the track all the time. I was like, well, I'll just run a bush trail today um, and enter a race here and there to like stay fit and challenge my proprioception or whatnot. So and what I do like about the trail, and I'm sure you'd agree, just because you probably have a good amount of shoe knowledge and biomechanic, biomechanical knowledge because you worked at Pace Athletic, but like being in the trail kind of makes you land in different angles and that uses more, you know, different muscles like your lateral side, side muscles, whereas on the road, you're landing on a flat surface the whole time. You're working those like, you know, anterior, posterior muscles a lot more. So yeah, that's one thing I like about the trail and I definitely want to do more of it down the line as I get a little older and start to get slower, which I feel like I'm already starting to feel because the 5K is starting to feel extremely quick and I feel like I'm getting more used to the longer stuff. So I think I'll push up in distance pretty soon as well. 
But yeah, I did a few trail races last year and early this year as well, which is pretty fun. So I'm slowly getting there. I did the Booty Coastal Run, if you've heard of that, and the Cohen Trail Run in Canberra or like right outside of it. And yeah, those two are pretty fun. I managed to get a win in both, which is pretty cool because I'm pretty new in the trail. But on that note, actually, do you wear trail shoes for your trail races? Yeah. Yeah, I, I basically only wear trail shoes now unless I'm doing speed work. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, I may as well train in the shoes I'm going to race in or do most of my mileage in. Uh, I tried to find like two shoes that I love and just alternate between them. And when did you work at Pace? Like, I know you did, but I just don't know when. Yeah, um, the first half of 2018. It was a short stint, Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I did a while ago. <laughs> yeah. The cool thing about Pace, which is a running specialty shoe store for the people that don't know, is that I feel like a lot of Sydney's top runners have worked there over the years. And it's pretty cool to just look at the history of runners that have worked there and like what they're doing now as well. So yeah, we've had like state champions and and like people who have gone into the collegiate system and stuff as well, obviously. So that's pretty cool. But I guess I am curious what was the top selling shoe back in the day in 2018 honestly it was i sold a ton of asics uh keanu um whatever the edition was back in that time and also on shoes had kind of just become popular um and everyone wanted to try them on whether or not they bought them because they felt like different at that time like they've definitely changed the way the shoe is constructed but yeah it was it was those kind of those two yeah, I think I did see on your website, and yeah, Lara has many talents. She has a website, she sings as well, I think. You work in marketing at the moment, and yeah, you obviously do trail skiing and all that, but yeah, one thing I saw is that you have a website. You actually showed me one of your articles as well, which is pretty cool, but I saw that you have an on-running shoe article, but can you quickly summarize what was on that? Yeah, well, I... um. I wrote that because I uh, saw that a lot of people were searching for information around that. And I had done a lot of reading on, on at the time. And, um, you know, there's a tactic, uh, how you rank websites and that's about writing about things that people are searching for. So that's what my website does. It's kind of an affiliate aggregate website, but it uh, talks about topics that I know about and I'm informed on and kind of collaborate with specialists in the area, if it, particularly if it's like sports health related. Um, but that article looked at a bunch of different on running shoes and um you know what you use those shoes for or you know what type of foot would suit that shoe whether you're more of a and I hate kind of hate to say it because I I don't select a a shoe based on whether I'm like a pronator or have a neutral foot I select a shoe on based on whether it feels good to me and like whether I'm going to sprain my ankles in it or not um I like drop that a long time ago um because if your foot works properly it really shouldn't matter what shoe you're put in as long as it feels good to you um and your foot mechanics are you know if they're solid right so i, I focus more on that now yeah 100 percent. and especially when you're in the trail like you're landing in different angles like i said earlier so you probably don't want a shoe that corrects your arching stuff too much because then you're like if you land in a certain angle in an arch support shoe you could like overcompensate a lot and roll your ankle pretty easily so that's why trail shoes are all neutral and I'm sure you definitely know that and yeah there's a whole kind of podcast we can do about shoes um with you or even other people in the future so we won't get into too much detail but yeah I feel like you know both of us like doing a lot of different things because I obviously started this podcast now 
and I do a bit of YouTube and that sort of thing. And you have your website and all that. But was the biggest inspiration just like getting your name out there and trying to put articles that you think people are searching for? Or do you have like a roadmap on where you want the website to go? Yeah, so the website, um, I created that like early 2020, just before COVID hit. And little did I know that that would be like my best friend in COVID when I finished, you know, school for the year and we had our summer um, in the US, like months and months off and, you know, basically everything shut down. So um, what I, you know, what I aimed to do with that was like create, use the website to, as a way to write about products and those uh, companies, you know, get their attention and I can review products and they might pay me or offer me free product, um, a way to publish my um, race calendar, help people with Strava. Like I consult now um, small businesses and how to help them grow on Strava. I created that company myself. Um, Strava does not offer that service. Um, so I have people reach out to me and they, you know, might need help with uh, growing their presence and they don't have the money to invest in a paid sponsored challenge with Strava. So um, I've kind of found a way for them to be able to do that. And um, normally it's like charities and foundations that want to do a virtual fund run and have no idea where to start. Um, so I can help with that. And so I basically ended up turning my website into something that could potentially grow into a full-blown company later. Um, it's just, you know, I, have, I live in the US, you can't do that. Um, you know, I'm on, a, I'm on a visa, but in Australia, um, at the time when I was like living there in 2021, I grew that more and got some clients, um, returned back, kind of had to shut that down. Um, but I still consult for free um, because people need help. And like I um, wanted to do that for them. And I uh, just wanted a way to get my name out there. Like when people are searching for things, uh, if I can help them answer a question and my name comes up, like at some point, if I do well in my sport, this is going to be an asset, right? So. Yeah, I think it's important for like athletes to kind of, you know, get your name out somehow because we're getting more into a world where social media is kind of important. And obviously people have different opinions on social media, but as long as you're using it in a pretty positive way, which you definitely are, um, yeah, I think it can be pretty powerful down the line. So you're kind of investing a bit of time for the future and you will reap the rewards down the line, I feel like. And even with the with this podcast, I feel like, it's only just begun, but, you know, down the line, we're going to be getting a lot more guests and hopefully even like Olympics and stuff like that, which would be pretty cool. And yeah, you got, you got to start somewhere, but yeah, yeah, it looks like you've gone quite far with your website already, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Let's talk a bit more about the differences between like the US and Australia right now, because you talked about how, yeah, you came back to Australia a little bit during COVID, but then now you're obviously back in the US. Mm -hmm. um, I do know that all the states are quite different, but you're in Colorado now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how is that different to Australia in all the ways? Um, it's like the opposite. I mean, right now I'm actually, I'm at Bluey's Beach. I'm currently in a children's bunk bedroom because it's only free <laughs> room in the house that doesn't have people. Um, that's why there's like a weird whale at the back. Um <laughs> Uh, but this is like a rainforest, there's beaches, I live in high mountain desert, um, you know, things like that um, at high altitude. So the environment is the opposite, that's for sure. Um, so, you know, you get used to different, uh, adapt you get adapt different adaptations, you have to get used to uh, what those changes mean for your training and recovery. The 
I don't know, there's like a lot of subtle differences um, culturally that you think wouldn't be there because, you know, it's an English speaking country, but they exist. Like America's a lot more politically charged than Australia is. Um, and, you know, I've seen that like being there through various elections and things like that. So um, you navigate those things and I don't tend to strike up conversations about that with anyone. Um, but yeah, mostly the environment. That's the biggest difference. Yeah. Mm. Talk a bit more about the adaptations that you get in altitude, because I think there's a lot of people listening from Australia, mainly just because, you know, my audience tends to be from Australia. But yeah, what sort of adaptations do you get? What do you need to consider in terms of training and volume and whatnot? What's your experience like training in altitude? Yeah, so um, I mean, the partial pressure of oxygen, uh, like, it, it's lower so uh, your long runs and things like that are gonna feel slower like coming here um things have fell a lot faster like you my ventilatory response like the how much I breathe I, it's still my body still thinks I'm high so when I'm breathing down here it take it was taking big breaths initially and then I, it's like hey like you don't have to try and take in that much much oxygen because like we're at sea level now but it took longer for my mind to kind of adjust to that because when you're up high you, you you'll change the way you ventilate to accommodate for that reduced pressure so um you know adapting to that you know you've got blood plasma changes um and you know you can use heat down here to kind of get a slim similar effect um you know use a dry heat sauna and you do that um poor man's altitude they call it right um mm -hmm. but to get like really great adaptations they always recommend that you're in that sweet spot over, you know, 7,000 feet. And we kind of live 7,700 feet, that, that sweet spot. Um, Cause it's a debated literature, you know, everyone's going to respond differently to altitude. I think you can't really say like, Oh, it's going to be super favorable to me because how the person next door responds compared to you is probably going to be different. But on the most part, I think it works for me because I came down and I raced at UTA and did pretty well. But I think that's more because like, you know, you come down here and, suddenly things feel quicker, suddenly you're sleeping a little bit better, potentially things like that. And you've got to account for the fact that like, I'm chronically adapted to a high altitude environment and that can take, you know, anywhere from eight to 14 months, um, give or take for different people. So, you know, it's, I'm not going to have major sleep disruptions like someone else might do. Um, so if you are going to go to altitude, it's important to account for that if you're not used to it, um, because that's going to impact your recovery. So there's a bunch of different things to think about there and how you go about things. You're going to need more carbohydrate intake too at a high altitude. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think I read up on a bit of literature in the past as well, but like there's even this concept of living high but training low and stuff like that because some people just can't train at the same kind of VO2 as sea level. Well, you, you can't, I guess. So. Yeah, some people just get altitude tanks or change their room partial pressure of oxygen, like when they sleep, but then when they train, they're still at sea level kind of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of yeah. different stuff being tested out, but I guess, yeah. yeah, it's different for everyone. But going more back to the UTA and the win, um, I actually don't know too much about your history on what sort of distances you've done in trail races, but what made you decide the 22 instead of the uta 50 or the 100 yeah look i really like to run fast and 50s yeah. have a lot more like you need more taper and more recovery time 
and coming up to Austria and the distances that I'm racing at World Mountain Champs, 22 is more conducive to that. And it was also, you know, a better training stimulus for me, like early season, first trail race of the season leading up to like, kind of, if you look at my race calendar um, down the year, you know, it, it relates more to that. I don't mind marathons and fifties, but I have plenty of time to be really good at them. I, you know, if I'm not going to be running a bunch of track, I want to make sure I'm using that speed um, on the trails. Yeah. I agree. That's exactly why my trail races so far have been, yeah, 12K, 14K kind of thing and nothing longer. I think if I did UTA, I'd do 22 as well and not the 50. But yeah, I forgot about um, the World Mountain Running Championship. So I think I read somewhere that you wanted to go to Thailand last year because that's where they held it last year. Um, mm-hmm. I had a few friends go there, like Leo Peterson. I don't know if you know him, but yeah, um, yeah, 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 good guy. Yeah, what stopped you from going last year? Was it the the back condition thing? No, it wasn't that because I started getting treated kind of late September, early October for that. Um, right. It was actually finance. Like I couldn't afford to go. So it was really sad. Like I had worked three jobs to try and get um, and saved a bunch of money to try and get to world sky running and try and have enough money coming into 2022 once I moved to US and I basically like drained the bank traveling to golden trail series races in Norway and whatnot and uh yeah just traveling from the US to Thailand is a big deal like I kind of wish I was in Australia instead because it's a little less big of a journey so yeah that was that and I said you know if I make another team next year um I'm definitely gonna go so I um have been working really hard to make that a reality uh because yeah most people don't know but like Australian team for this isn't funded uh the US team is and some other teams are so like there is a barrier to entry for us and I hope that in the future like we can generate results and kind of get that backing yeah 100% I heard from Leo that yeah there's no funding so you have to like organize everything yourself which is yeah a little disappointing because I feel like yeah trail sometimes goes under the radar and, and track is so glorified but yeah the more people like you get into it who are relatively well known in the community and stuff I think it will help down the line with more funding and stuff so yeah hopefully you'll do well and um bring some good results but you know even if you don't you'll document the journey and I'm sure we'll see a bit of it on Instagram which would be pretty cool and yeah I do want to know more about the specific championships though because even I don't know too much about the world mountain running championships but I know there's the yeah there's like different categories there's like a longer version and a shorter version but can you explain the sort of layout of it yeah so um it all starts on Tuesday you know you got the welcome ceremony and the check-in I actually fly in on the Tuesday like I'm running out of PTO here with my work um (laughs) so I am doing everything um like in and out which is like the way to do it you either like are there for two three weeks or you fly in the day before to kind of like beat the jet lag so that's Tuesday um race Wednesday which is the VK which I think is like 7k um and just only up really um a thousand meters of climbing um and that is like you climb from 1000 meters of altitude to 2000 meters um i'm really excited about that um and then the next day i believe is the short trail race but i'm not sure which one's on the thursday and which one's on the friday i might get it mixed up so apologies and friday is a long trail um then saturday is the classic mountain race which is up down um i think it's around 13 14 kilometers um where, you know, there's a downhill component, not just that uphill. So I'm going to be doing the Wednesday race and the Saturday race. Yeah, so you get a bit of time in between, which is 
pretty good. But mm-hmm. what are the distances for the short and long trail? 45 kilometers and 86 kilometers, I believe. Wow. Yeah, quite a long one. Yeah. But that's pretty mm-hmm. cool how they kind of combine and have a few different types of races because some people obviously love climbing. The VK stands for vertical kilometer, I believe. And I definitely know a friend that loves doing that. I don't think I will do that anytime soon. I think, yeah, um, short trail or the one that you're doing on Saturday sounds a bit better. But um, yeah, that is cool. And I don't know what it's like with Japan, like in terms of getting any stuff, but I feel like not as many countries compete in it as well. So it'll be cool to see more countries competing in it. Yeah, um, I mean, they combined, it's the World Trail and Mountain Running Championships. So they used to be two separate events. Um, I think this is the second year that they've combined them. So it would have been cool to attend last year because then I could have said that I've been to one and two years of it. Um, but I'm going to make the most of this one and big like meeting of all the countries and people who really love this sport and just do my best. <laughs> A lot of traveling lately, so I'm not sure how it's going to go. But yeah. When do you head back to the US? Um, Sunday, so two days time. Um, Try and get mm-hmm. another two weeks of training in and then off I go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't realize it was that soon, actually. But yeah, best of luck for that. And yeah, we'll touch on just a couple more stuff. So just because you studied music, I don't know anyone else that studied music. What made you decide it? I think you did um, social media marketing or something before. Yeah, um, I mean, I've always done kind of like social media and marketing uh, whatnot as like a side hustle um, slash part-time job um, throughout my uni life, just to earn money. And music came about um because I was singing at school like in the audition groups I kind of just figured out I could sing and had fun with that um did music too for the HSC and all of that um enjoyed it and I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left high school so I applied to a bunch of things but one of the things that I um saw was like you could audition for the conservatorium of music and I thought you know why not I'll audition if I get in I'll take that degree because like it was done on the audition not just the ATAR and that's super cool. I feel like you should take that if you get in. So I auditioned and I got in. So I was like, oh, okay, like that's sweet. Like I'll go to this music school and just study music because I enjoy it. Um, so I did that um, and then, you know, did well with the running and got offered to go to Boise State, do a master's and kind of just, it made sense to follow up and kind of go all the way with the music degree and specialize in music, singing performance specifically. So yeah. That's super awesome. I think I definitely respect how you kind of just branch out and do everything that you enjoy. Cause like a lot of the times, cause I do enjoy branching out and doing a ton of different things as well. But I feel like sometimes I'm sacrificing being super good at one thing, but yeah, does that ever cross your mind? Or are you pretty happy to like experiment and dabble in different things and just enjoy life? Yeah. Well, some would say it's bad to be a jack of all trades master of none. Um, but hopefully one day I can kind of narrow it down more to like sport and music. It's just hard to kind of get a good paid job in music that's consistent and pays the bills. Um, especially when you like live in a small mountain town in the US and you know, those geeks are few and far between. So yeah, eventually one day I'll get there. For sure. I think one cool thing though about like both of us is yeah, when you dabble in a few different things, you kind of find some weird connections between the two like even in terms of the people who also do both and yeah I find that especially because for the most part I'm doing running related 
content like podcasting youtube photography i find that a lot of them tie together nicely as well like you can advertise your podcast with the youtube channel and stuff like that but yeah hopefully um you get to narrow it down as well because i think you're even more broad but it's so cool to see but yeah i guess to wrap it up um what's one thing that you really miss about australia since moving to the us because i'm sure there are there is something or a few things honestly the beach i where i live is so landlocked um that sometimes you just want to paddle your surfboard out and you want to sit out the back and just think and just let the salt water wash away your problems catch a few waves um today i went surfing which was super cool and there were like dolphins out the back um and i was catching like little peelers you know off the point um and it was really magical uh, and nice to have that experience before I head back to the US, um, very Australian and kind of what I grew up with. So um, it's exactly what I needed, but you can't have it both ways, uh, but it's special when I can come back and get that. Yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully now that COVID isn't as big of a deal, like you'll be able to travel back a bit more often. Obviously, you probably don't COVID, want to travel too money. much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a long way to go to the US, I guess. So that's another barrier. But yeah, I guess best of luck in the World Mountain Running Champs. But where can people find you in terms of socials? Sure. Um, I'm mostly active on Instagram. I'm not super savvy about managing a lot of social media, Um, ironically. So that's at Lara underscore Hamilton. And then my website, which is, you know, www.larahamilton.com. So those are kind of the two places that I keep up to date. Cool. Um, yeah, I'll link them if I can remember, but please post as much as you can on your story and make some reels at the yeah, world champs because I, I think I definitely want to see more of it. And the more people can see how cool it is, yeah, the more we can grow it. So good Agreed. luck with that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.